Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> and it's early here, but not so early for the other three people that are with me. Uh, David Marino, the newfound father, and of course, the birthday boy, Mikey Momola. How are you guys? Fantastic. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, Bobby. Dave. Don't forget Good to morning. smile. This now, episode. I was just thinking about the Mike Momola joke. I was like, going to say a Benjamin Button joke, but I let him live. <laughs> Oh, we're all jealous of Michael Momola's hair. But speaking of hair, Stephen Rossi is here, uh, chairman and CEO of WorkSport. And, uh, you know, boys, we've done a lot of work in this space. I know Stephen probably doesn't know it, uh, but they're developing solar tech, uh, but in the EV truck space, portable battery tech, et cetera, in uh, there's such a huge market, uh, Stephen, and so much money's pouring into your space. Uh, obviously, you guys are listed on the NASDAQ, WKSP, uh, the symbol. Um, how big is that market uh, in that last mile of either electric or solar transportation? Um, we're, we're, we're guessing about $30 billion in the next couple of years. It, it's just a big market. I mean, it just makes a lot of sense for, for, for people to, to, to be looking at solar tech. And no doubt. And, you know, how far back does solar tech go? I know there's the old Karma car. I'm here in Orange County, California. So, you know, I've been around the space, obviously very deep into it right now. Um, and with solar conversion, electric conversion, uh, gas to electric conversion, hydrogen to electric conversion, all types of different technologies how how long has the solar uh to electric uh you know been around i think i, I mean i can't remember exactly which year but it was sometime i believe in the early 90s that the white house got their first solar panels i mean these these panels had a fraction of the efficiency that they do today but i mean it, it's just been you know a, a, a an evolutionary wheel in motion for 30 years now I think I remember back in the 90s that they said it took more energy uh, to make the solar panels than it would ever save in its lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. I mean, I mean, people were people were laughing last last time I mentioned this, and it's not tech that we're into, but they're getting photovoltaics from the moon. I know it sounds crazy, but solar is so sensitive that you're able to get a little bit of power from irradiant moonlight. It's just crazy. It's just getting way more advanced now. Yeah, which means that if we can get a little bit today, we can get a lot of it tomorrow. Uh, and that's yeah. the aggregation of technology and the acceleration of what we can do uh, with imagination and possibility, probability and perspective. David, I can, you look perplexed. What, what What is on your mind? I'm just thinking of uh, just all the stuff recently that I've read uh, or saw about solar. And it's consistent with what you and I were talking about earlier this week, Dave. You can do well by doing good. Obviously, solar energy is clean. It's good for the environment. Um, it can move us around. It can power our homes. And the, the things I'm thinking about is I saw New York State just passed 2025. No more gas-powered vehicles will be allowed to be sold in the state of New York. I also read that Joe Biden said that the uh, federal fleet of vehicles will now be all switched to EVs. I'm not sure when that's going to be, but that, to me, those two things show a significant change of mindset and thinking of how we're approaching, you know, the ecosystem and how we're looking at, you know, the emissions that our vehicles put out. And obviously, Stephen, your company being in the truck space, we look at we look at trucks as you know high emission vehicles. 
uh, you're reducing the carbon footprint in uh, folks coming in. So what I would really like to know is what's your long-term vision for the company and how do you see, you know, I know it's a huge growth area and everybody's trying to figure out where they fit, right? Because there's a lot of folks getting into the space. Uh, where do you see your guys' niche and what do you see as a long-term vision? We, we, we really are interested in two things. I, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of crazy information out there right now that you guys should know. Like, for example, boroughs of New York, like downtown Manhattan, 1st and 2nd Street. If you own a Tesla and you want to fast charge that Tesla today yourself with a level two charger, it costs you $108,000 a year to charge that thing. Just to charge it, just in the power charges, right? Wow. Number two, interesting fact, is uh, when... 15% of American, the general American population gets an EV, a stat is that those, the, the, the grid will then officially be overdrawn. Um, mm. Where's the power gonna come from? Third thing is, where do you think the power's coming from? The power's coming from natural gas plants because the pipelines are saying, I mean, we got capacity, we could pop up a plant like this and run some lines to a, to a community or, or to an area in need of power. So what, what our model is, is two models in the company is my model is, are we not merely deferring the emissions from the tailpipe of an F-150 to the smokestack of a, of, a nat of a natural gas plant or a carbon emission plant? So in 20 years, when we're all driving Teslas or an electric vehicle and global warming still up, air quality still going, getting worse, we're going to wonder what's going on because it's not right in front of us. We're not staring at the tailpipe in front of us. It's just, it's, it's a huge tailpipe behind us. Um, and, and uh, you know, another model we have is that we're not, um, leaving this world, uh, sorry, we're, we're not we're, we're not inheriting the world from our ancestors, but leaving, uh, borrowing it from our children. Um, so, like, what's going to happen in twenty years? Like, the, you know, in a hundred years, I'm not going to be here. I don't have to deal with it, but it's getting worse. So, anyway, the vision of the company is simple: to create clean energy. I mean, like, really clean energy. And to be honest with you, if we can already take fifty percent of that Rivian truck's power draw off the grid and, and electrify it with our solar cover, that's a huge victory today. And David, like you said, what's it going to look like in 20 years when solar, when quantum dots are picking up, you know, different spectrums of light and producing more energy? Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, you guys had also mentioned hydrogen. We're looking at hydrogen. I mean, our byproduct for powering a, a, an indigenous community in need is going to be a cup of distilled water with our hydrogen technology. But this, these are real solutions. Uh, meanwhile, you know, these battery electric vehicles are just a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. I agree with you, Stephen. Good morning. It, it, these are real solutions. So congratulations. How does the how does your technology compare in, in a real world application to something like a Tesla or an electric vehicle? I get all of the benefits that you just told us. But if I get in my truck, um, there's no sun out. I'm in the city. There's high rises. I, I don't see a bright sun. I'm going to be OK driving. Whereas with my, my Tesla or electric vehicle, I can't go from New York to California without stopping. That's right. Yeah. So um, you know, we, we need photovoltaics to create, to create, you know, photons to create electrons, right? So if we're not getting good sun, we're obviously not going to produce a lot of power when our, with our truck cover systems. Um, but the, yeah, you, like you had said, Mike, like what happens on that drive from, you know, ur urban to suburban, right? And, you know, when you're parked outside, you know, and, and you are getting sun, we're capturing those rays. So we're, we're not a, a silver bullet. But if we can meaningfully, like you're going to buy a truck, you're going to want a cover. And if we can integrate that cover with a solution that could produce megawatts a year, regardless, like on average, we're looking at, you know, like the, the marathon, not the sprint. I think that ultimately we, we, we've won and things are going to get better. But we're looking at hydrogen technology now because, you know, the, these these EVs and these trucks are megawatts. Like they're, they're, where are you going to get that kind of power? It's crazy. Yeah. 
Um, so hydrogen fuel cell technology is great. We're, we're launching a, what we call the NPEV, non-parasitic EV charger, which means we could put in a, a hydrogen fuel cell DC fast charger where nobody else can. We just need to you know, electrolyze and create hydrogen or, or, or fill it up with hydrogen. And, and green hydrogen now is, 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 is the wave of the future. So between the two of them, at least we're solving problems we think that are you know, more future-proof. You know, Stephen, I, I look back and, you know, one of my entrepreneurial uh, heroes is a guy that wasn't nearly as famous as I was 25 years ago, wasn't as rich as I was 25 years ago, wasn't as connected as I was 25 years ago. And I always envision him 25 years ago in his garage, you know, meeting up with him and watching him selling his books out of his garage, telling me, dude, I'm going to be the richest man on earth. I'm going to be worth over a trillion dollars. I'm going to change the entire marketplace of the earth. And me being a toptimist, that's the top of the optimist, still laughing my ass off, uh, you know, mocking him, rolling my eyes at the very least at him going, this dude is never going to be the richest man on the earth. And, you know, I'm listening to you 10 years ago uh, and, you know, you were a truck bed cover company, uh, you know, yeah. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, if I would have met you 10 years ago as a toptimist, more famous than you, more connected than you and richer than you, barely. Uh, I was just recovering 10 years ago. I was three years into it. But nonetheless, if you would have told me, hey, man, I'm going to be the richest man on earth and change the world, uh, I probably still would have laughed at you because you were selling truck bed covers. What is it in your mindset that has put you into position to be the richest man on earth? You are in a position to change the world at the very least. Um, there has to be a certain mindset, a belief that, you know, as you're selling truck, truck bed covers that you can expand, grow and accelerate. Look, we all know Bezos never would have been the richest man on earth if he just continued to sell books out of his garage. There's, it's, his <laughs> mind, it's his mindset that did it. What is it in your mindset that, you know, gave you the belief that you can think this big? Um, David, that's that's a that's a that's a profound question. Um, I get two points know, for that one. Profound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We keep yeah. track of great questions, Stephen. Profound. We, just we, we keep that. score because we're juvenile and competitive. <laughs> yeah, you guys are awesome, and I love these questions. Honestly, I think it's about building legacy. Like I remember the story of Achilles, right? I mean, the guy didn't didn't want anything other than just to be you know famous from being written about, and we have that same legacy aspiration where it's like i think that when a business or a business person thinks about building legacy and that the economies are a fallout of that legacy like a byproduct um that's really when when that wealth can happen so i'm going to be honest with you uh not not driven by the incentive of being the trillionaire and i don't really think that the trillionaires of today for the most part, I mean, there's probably you know four and a half this 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 statement, but I don't think they're driven by that. I think it's driven by looking at down the, the the pipeline of what things look like tomorrow, and the ten years and the twenty years, and kind of meeting those needs. So you know, with us, like we're we're meeting investors, we're meeting individuals that are saying hydrogen. They made a bomb out of that, and it's like hydrogen is literally the most abundant element in the universe it's just you know water that's that you separate the two and you got hydrogen so we're looking at hydrogen and look david if at the end of the day we end up becoming you know the, the largest company in the world as a result mazel tov to everybody 
but the drive is the, the drive is really one thing. It's just, it's doing something good and doing something meaningful with the intention of legacy. And what happens as a fallout as a result of it really is just going to be what it is. Steven, so, so WorkSport was founded in 2011 and you guys are on a NASDAQ now, which is great. And this is kind of a two, two-pronged question because uh, a lot of folks don't understand what it takes to, to have a publicly traded company. Uh, why the decision to take the company public? And as a secondary question, if we have time, is before 2011, when you guys were founded, what were you doing before you actually launched the company in terms of what seeds were you planting for WorkSport back then yeah, uh, good questions. Um, uh, you know, taking the company public was it? yeah, yeah, taking the company public was we were looking for capital to grow. Um, and, you know, some advisors at the time, like friends, you know, we were looking for, for loans and capital. And one, you know, a, a friend of ours at the time said, you got to go public. At the time, worst mistake of our lives. I mean, there's there's a time to go public and we weren't ready. And most companies don't make it through this. I was 24 years old as a CEO of a public company, had no idea what to do, but I'm a quick study, figured it out, closed the doors, nose to the grindstone, grounded out by myself. And we built this, this thing brick by brick. And here we are, finally, everything's favoring our story, our message is getting out there. Um, so it's really like a grind and hustle story for me. And prior to that, uh, I, I was 18 years old, dropped out of university. I went to, I was in university for science for, for, to be a, a, a in, in life sciences, to be uh, either an ambulance, paramedic, doctor, whatever. Uh, eight, 19 years old dropout, started an auto parts store and parents are both teachers. Not like I'd have got that million dollar check from, from mom or dad. And I ground out my businesses in Toronto, you know, in the core of Toronto, learning, you know, real life lessons about, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly that's really out there that, you know, you can't read from a book. So by 24, I had grown a series of businesses and I learned everything about automotive and I love trucks. I saw that people were getting, like, an F-150 outsells a Honda and it's more efficient than one now. Like, why wouldn't you buy one? Um, I mean, that's, that's figurative speaking. I, I mean, they're, they're not actually, but yeah, still and it gets them. the girls. And it gets, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I just, I, I, it's always been like kind of a, a grinding story for me uh, from when I was a kid to now. And I've taken a lot of life lessons, lessons that, you know, when you learn those hard life lessons, David, you're saying, right? You learn those lessons and whether you're a CEO or a doctor or president or whatever it is, those lessons still tell you, you know, they teach you that, so you remember them and they guide you down the, down the line. So here we are now and, and, you know, I got a lot of miles under my shoes, but, uh, but, but we're, we're growing. Congratulations, Stephen. Fantastic. I love that. And I love specifically where you said, you know, I wasn't ready, but you got it figured out, right? And you got it yeah. done. And that's what successful yeah. entrepreneurs do. So, Great for you. Um, tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, Mikey, you got one more question. I got time for one more question. If you have, you have more time for more. Yeah. Okay. So, so my, my question then becomes, um, not to put is you there, on the spot. <laughs> What's that? Like, what? not to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I had a follow-up question. So with regard to the technology, is there anything that we see that you're excited about coming forward? Because technology is moving so fast. Are you at a point with the development of the product that you're satisfied? Everything develops and adapts and moves on. Or is there something you say, when we get to this, we're going to be truly unstoppable? Um, we're, we're, we're in development of a hydrogen fuel cell that takes 90% less platinum. So that cost of the material is going to be 90% less expensive. So it's going to be more attainable for communities. Uh, we're obviously going to be looking at indigenous communities that are still living off diesel, diesel generators. And that stuff's the most toxic stuff in the world causes legitimate cancer. 
Um, and, uh, and our battery tech for the consumer is going to be kind of cool because, you know, that next Texas freeze or the next hurricane or the next power, uh, you know, I think it was hurricane Irma or whatever, more people died from carbon, carbon dioxide poisoning than the actual hurricane themselves from gas generators. So our battery, our portable battery generator, we're pretty pumped about because that's a consumer product. Someone could have that in the cupboard. When that comes out later, uh, early next year, we're taking pre-orders and it'll, I think it's going to change people's lives, the individuals, uh, our hydrogen fuel cell and, and getting hydrogen systems more affordable and more efficient. And we're going to start in the communities that have, I can't believe it, 671 indigenous communities in Canada. I don't even know how many there are in, 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 in the U.S. And they're, they're, a lot of them are powered by diesel generators. Uh, we want to get, we, we want to change that. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much, Stephen. Uh, check out WorkSport, changing the world sport, uh, and uh, the NASDAQ symbol. Uh, as we know, there is uh, WK, what, SP? Is that what it was? WK. We got it. All right, perfect. <clears throat> I used to be a CEO of a public company, so I know important how much those letters are. So anyway, check them out, uh, looking at the future. Thank you for everything you do and the mindset, heart set, and handset that you have, Stephen. We appreciate you. Thank you for having me, guys. Good morning. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. All righty. Well, we are going to do the takeaway of the day. Clubhouse today at 6 a.m. on the Breakfast of Champions. Next week, I'll be back from Portugal live in Kentucky speaking at the thousandth episode of The Rise and Grind with my boy Glenn Lundy from Breakfast of Champions. And we're going to do takeaway of the day today on Clubhouse. So I'm hoping you guys can get me warmed up. hope you'll join me on takeaway of the day and share your takeaway i i, I know uh this schedules uh are difficult for you two right now but who wants to go first what's your takeaway for the the day or week i'll go so yeah. <clears throat> for me steve Stephen enlightened me um with his solar uh technology and what he's doing and and for me the takeaway is that there's purpose in everything if we focus on the purpose of what it is that we're doing. So, you know, if you look directly at the sun, you'll go blind. It's not a good idea. But if you harness the power of the sun through the technology you create, you can change the world for the better. Unless you're President Trump, then he can stare at the sun and nothing happens. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the funniest moments ever. (laughs) Uh, For me, it's, you know, whether you're thinking about vehicles or, um, Clean energy, you know, your your time efficiency is always at the core of, of those who are successful. And I think when you look at, you know, the the drive to solar, we look at our boy Jason Waller, bam, uh, who who sold this company for what a billion dollars um, because of because of solar energy. Um, but when you look at that core, it's it's all about efficiency. And, and efficiency takes me back to some of the things that we've worked on as as a trio as a group uh me and you one-on-one uh mentoring dave with um just being more efficient with your time being a student of your calendar so you have the time the minutes and moments to spend with your family and and and, and your loved ones um and people that make you feel good and I, I i reflect on that a lot more now um because because as you know and as you've told everyone i have a, a new baby and being more efficient with you know time so i can spend you know five ten minutes to, to catch her smiling makes everything worth it so uh just to me thinking of solar just reminds me of efficiency and being efficient yeah <clears throat> no doubt and i think you know my takeaway is an interesting one and, and it deals with we only need to focus in on four things 
so many people focus in on all these things, you know, you know, when you're on sabbatical, for example, David, right, you're focused in on all these different things. And we'll let Amelia in, in one second, because she's just right here early in the green room to graciously uh, <laughs> adapt to our uh, schedule. So, but these four things are so interesting, because I get so outside of, <clears throat> you know, the box when I start looking at the activities I get paid for, the activities I don't get paid for when I look at my sleep. And I started to realize that if I only focus in on these four things, my food, because I need food, my water, because I need hydration, my air, uh, which is applying mostly to what Stephen Rossi is doing there, uh, you know, focusing in on making sure not only we have air, but I utilize it in the most efficient, effective, and statistically successful way by breathing, meditating, et cetera, and then my sleep. If you are the best at eating, drinking, breathing, and sleeping, I promise you everything else will take care of itself. Every relationship, every activity that you don't get paid for, you do seeing your kid for five minutes, you're actually making money, all the things that you're worried about, focused in on what you don't want, what's missing, or what other people want for you. If you only want for you the basic four, <clears throat> And being the best at getting the most energy from your nutrition, the best hydration, which is 80% of you, breathing and utilizing clean air and sleep uh, to access the information, transcend it into uh, this place. Man, I promise you all those other things that everybody else is looking at, the void shortages and obstacles, the mistakes, failures and setbacks won't even be there. So focus in on the four things that you need, your food, your drink, your air, and your sleep. Everything else will take care of itself. That's my takeaway. Uh, hopefully Amelia's here. I see the, her screen's off, Matt. Uh, hopefully she'll come back in. She came in early and up oh, there she is. All right, let's bring her on. Come on in. Come on down. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday we had uh, the prices right. Uh, moving here. Thank you, Amelia Dunlop, for joining us early. And I don't mean early just because it's 5.15 a.m. here in California. I I'm, mean, in, I'm in California, too. Holy shit. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. You're, you're an angel. You're, I didn't see the halo above your head. Your lighting must be off. So thank, thank you for coming. You're amazing. Uh, and you look so... Someone, someone texted me on my phone, Amelia. They're like, uh, hold on one second. It's an old friend of mine. He goes, Wake it up, homie. Look alive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have so, no excuse. I'm actually, as you know, I'm based in Boston. And so I decided I have to stay on Boston time when I'm in San Francisco this week. Right on. I live on Boston time. So so it's uh, perfect for me. I wake up at four normally, but obviously I look tired. Uh, it must be Friday. You wrote a new book um, and it's aligned with what I was just talking about, mm -hmm. you know, being our best selves, pursuing our potential, elevating the human experience, three paths to love and worth. Now, you use a word that I don't use. You say at work, but that's very De Deloitte Deloitian of you to say work. I call it activity I get paid for, uh, and uh, it makes it easier for me to have activity I get paid for and activity I don't. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, worthiness is a large issue. Uh, mm -hmm. It is. I, I coach a lot of executives of the Fortune 500 companies. And when I don't know what to say, I always hit my go to, which is why I think your book is brilliant. I always say, 
You know what the problem is, Amelia? I know you're the chief experience officer at Deloitte Digital. You know what your problem is? You don't feel worthy. And it's like, oh my God, how'd you know? How'd you, know? <laughs> you saw into my deepest, into my deepest soul. <laughs> right. It, it's the coach's trick of the year. I try these guys coach as well, Mikey and David. And I try to teach them like, like, what do you do if you don't know the answer? I'm like, either admit you don't know the answer and find it, or just tell them they don't feel worthy. And you'll nail it either way. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's so true. I mean, there's something so powerful in just either telling yourself or telling somebody else that they're worthy. Mm-hmm. We don't hear it enough. Yeah. And, you know, to this point in your book, you know, I have this uh, shift in a paradigm that says I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm wealthy and I'm worthy. What am I doing to interfere with it? You know, changing and shifting that for you, where is that balance uh, that people within the context of their own spectrum, you know, see what they actually already are, what they're seeking or what's interfering with it? Oh my goodness. Um, that's such a great question. I mean, one of the things that I think about is you keep score. That's a, you keep score, a great question. I'm winning by the way. Well, you get to ask all the questions. So that's not fair. Yeah, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll let the other guys talk once in a while. I got to just stay ahead on points. But I mean, one of the things that I think about is, um, you know how you have the, the, the inner critic or the kind of the voice in your head. And because it's so familiar to you, we assume that the inner critic is true, that every thought that you might have that is a negative thought or a critical thought actually is fact. When, you know, when I, I, you probably do this as well. I try this discipline of intentionally telling myself the opposite. It's like if I'm having like, like a particularly kind of critical uh, moment, it's like, okay, well, that could be true. But what if I were to tell myself the opposite? Could that also be true? And let me try to live um, and act as if that, that more positive thing could also be true. Awesome. Amelia, uh, so much to talk about. Uh, really interested in a new book, Elevating the Human Experience. Um, and how we can elevate the past to love at the workplace. And, and I know from, from reading the bio that it comes from some of your experiences as a female executive. One of the reasons that resonates with me is, you know, being a, a partner at a law firm, being the only uh, African-American partner at my law firm, um, one thing that we have as an issue, both in my firm and in the market generally, both in the corporate America as well as the legal field, is retention and elevation of uh, minorities to... Uh, executive positions is a difficult thing and it doesn't happen at the numbers folks would like and they always ask me what can we do better and my my response almost always is not everybody's the same and and we got to stop looking at folks like they are the same we all come to the door with different experiences we learn in different ways we take guidance and um and we communicate in different ways. And I think we should start being you know, more open to that concept so folks feel a lot more comfortable. Comfortable people are happy. Happy people stay. Right. Um, so I would love uh, if you can just give us a, a few of the, the, the tips and tricks and uh, things that you talk about in your book that we can apply across all industries, not just legal or, or corporate. Right. Well, I love your point about the, the fact that, you, uh, that we don't elevate anyone's experience generically, right? You elevate someone's experience specifically because people are not all the same, to your point. Our lived experiences are different. Our starting points are different. Our aspirations are different. Our intersectional identities are different. So I think that's the first thing is um, helping people feel seen for all the differences that they bring. Um, and I take your point about being an, o- an only, right? Because yeah. being an only in a, in a sort of successful sort of position can feel like a prize until it doesn't, 
right? Until you kind of do the, it's actually not a prize that I'm the only one of my my identity that, that is represented at this particular table or in this particular conversation. Um, so I do think there's something about helping people to feel seen for those different identities. Um, and then one of the things I talk a little bit about in my book is what does it mean to become a better ally? I think the whole topic of allyship has become um, more, more present in the, in the dialogue in the workplace these days. Um, but I, I do think that there's more that we can be doing to be, you know, active allies, kind of using whatever positional power or influence we might have to kind of give somebody else the microphone, right? So I always think about this, this image of like, if I have a microphone, whose other voice am I amplifying um, to give them, uh, a, you know, a better sense of themselves? Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning, Amelia. I, you know, I'm looking at the, the title of your book and the subtitle specifically, and um I find it really interesting. So elevating the human experience, three paths to love and work worth at work. And I am curious to know if that specific subtitle, three paths to love and worth at work, is that editorial or as I as I believe there's something more meaningful and more important, more profound in there. The fact that you put love before work. <laughs> and generating. <laughs> totally. So, okay, a couple of things I feel like I have to get out there. So I do use the word love um, in, the, in the work context, right? It can feel provocative. It can feel risky. But first, let me just define it, right? Because we, I think we all have in our heads what love might be. Um, and so I, I go back to both the Greeks with the eudaimonia, but also to Eric Fromm back in the 1950s in The Art of Loving. So the definition I use for love is the willingness to extend ourselves for either our own or another's growth. So then you kind of immediately think about it, it's like, oh, right, like we love in the workplace all the time, right? Because we're loving our colleagues, we're investing in them, we're coaching them, we're you know, offering them kind of words of wisdom. So what I try to do in the book is use the word love in a way that sort of takes out some of the risky or provocative elements and just kind of puts it back into the center of the discourse because as humans, we want to be loved. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Can we get that, Dave? Can we get that definition one more time from her? Because I, I want I want to commit that to, to the hard drive. Yeah, Matt, Matt Mark, <laughs> Mark, go ahead. Did you sure. It's, yeah, I, I'll say it's the uh, it's the willingness to extend yourself for either your own or another's growth. In, it's interesting as well. I'm blessed to work with Deloitte and some of your other uh, C level executives and. It's counterintuitive or uncharacteristic for the titles and the positions that Deloitte has had, not just recently to react to what's going on, uh, but have established years and years ago and that are experiential, uh, that are caring. Um, and most people would only think, you know, the big four would have positions that are very corporate, uh, but they actually, as uh, should be uh, as consultants who understand the human uh, existence and human nature should have human exper experience officers uh, and, you know, how that aligns in the digital world, which is sometimes, you know, very rigid. Um, working at a big four like Deloitte, how important is the human aspect of what you do, especially on the digital side uh, in the applied design strategy all the different experiential things that we have, how important is human nature and the human aspect at Deloitte? Yeah, well, I think one thing I would start with is, and people may not know this, but the um, the whole brand promise and brand personality for Deloitte is to be clear, confident, and human. 
And one of the things that I feel like I'm doing in my role as chief experience officer for Deloitte Digital is just bringing that promise to life, right? It's it's there. Of the big four, we're the only ones who are named after a human, right? We're not a collection of le- an alphabet of letters. <laughs> and so I think we have the obligation to be the most human um, professional services firm. And then one of the things, so what we're doing to kind of bring that to life is we've, you know, obviously I, I wrote the book around elevating the human experience, but the whole point of that is we don't show up as, we don't wake up as customers, right? We don't wake up as employees. We wake up as humans and we want to be reminded of and treated, treated like we are you know, more human. I mean, I got to tell you a quick story because I'm old and, and you'll <laughs> like this. Um, so Anderson Consulting, uh, they did the merger of West Publishing and Thomson Reuters in 1995, which I was blessed to be a part of. $3.4 billion merger in 95, which is a fairly large transaction. Um, but then uh, right after that, they wanted to rebrand Anderson. And so they had a contest with their employees and they gave a million dollars to the winner of the contents for the, for the new uh, logo of Accenture. Right. Uh, <laughs> this kills me. It is literally the greater than sign. So th- there is some employee <laughs> that literally sent in the sent in the greater than sign and won a million dollars back in their mid nineties. I mean, good for them, right? It's <laughs> awesome. But I, I mean, I'm sitting here going, "This is how the universe works." I'm sure there's like these incredible geniuses at Anderson, like these high Harvard thinking, you know, creating this intricate, you know, story behind everything. And then there's probably some secretary that was <laughs> emotionally intelligent. That's just like, we're better than everybody else. Here's a greater than sign. Blech. <laughs> they, they win it. Anyway, sorry, Dave, you're, you're back. How's the baby? Uh, she's hollering, but she'll be okay. She's tough. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're very uh, formal. This is a very formal show. It's a, it's amazing. We have so many people that actually watch it. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm having fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the human yeah, experience is, here on Office Hours. Yeah. yeah, human experience is exactly what my question is going. So we don't see chief experience officers at at every company, and it's an interesting term. And I get it. Uh, I think Dave and Mike get it as well. Just given folks we've been around and the importance of it. Why, in your opinion, should other companies implement a chief experience officer and how uh, ha- has your role impacted you know, what you do at Deloitte Digital, what, what the company, the X company sure. does? Sure, well, I think, first of all, you, you definitely put your finger on the fact that chief experience officers are it's a relatively new chief sort of um, position that we're seeing more and more companies um, kind of add. And the whole point is, you, ha- you, know, you have the chief marketing officer or you have the kind of head of sales, but these are sort of discrete roles. There's not a single individual who's responsible for the whole customer's end-to-end journey. And that's what the chief experience officer does. It's really thinking about all the touch points, you know, from, you know, the first time you might, you know, talk to a customer all the way through to kind of that fulfillment um, and that satisfaction. Um, so it's, it's the, it goes back to customer experience and the kind of the journey. Um, and one of the things that I love about my role is my job is just to wake up every day and think about what would better look like. Right. And that in order to do better, you have to think about both your customers and your workforce. So if I don't know that we can distill the entire book down, Amelia, but helping people feel more worthy at work, what's the one key takeaway to helping people do that? So I've tried, I've been thinking about if, if I could just use one word, right. To, de- mm-hmm. to describe the book, what would it be? Um, Cause obviously I use, I use love, I use worth. Um, but I feel like I'd, I'd use a greater than sign. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Um, so I think for me, the word would be authenticity, right? Because 
one of the things I talk about in the book is I am a mother of three. Um, my kids are now 15, 13, and 11. And for so long, I felt like I was either a mama or I was a management consultant. And like neither were very relevant in, in each other's um, kind of, and I feel like what I have been learning to do um, and I try to do in the book is, th- is talk about what does it mean to show up authentically? Where um, I am, I am, you know, I am just Amelia, uh, who also happens to, you know, have a particular role and title, and I have, and, and a kind of, and a family that um that I am responsible for, and so authenticity is the word that I'd I'd like people to take away from the book. Great, and I think they will. You know, for me, it's a frequency. You were talking about, you know, not only appreciating how we're all the same in that worthiness, in that. Uh, value of of loving each other, but also to appreciate the differences. And everybody has their own frequency. And although we may appear different, we may have a a very similar frequency that resonates with one another, or we may appear to be exactly the same, but yet have completely divergent frequencies. And Amelia has her frequency, Mike, David, and myself have our frequencies. And we need to appreciate uh, the differences uh, between those frequencies. And I think I'm trying with people like you to help share that experience of appreciation, of adding value uh, to not only how we're the same, but how we're different. And it's a very simple uh, perspective. And I love the fact that Deloitte is leading the way as I see through so many different types of executives and programs that they have, especially with the great resignation, uh, really helping companies find the work-life balance. And I think your book does a great job of guiding us um, into that type of awareness of the frequency, the authenticity, and the balance uh, that we can have in our lives. Uh, I have four children, and I know exactly how you you feel uh, torn. And now Dave has his first child, and he's starting to, you know, realize, whoa, you know, five minutes with my daughter, how much is that worth uh, comparatively to the billables that a brown rudnick lawyer needs to create in order to be considered a success, which I'm sure is true in the managing consulting business as well. Yeah, so, so David, my, um, my tip on that one is I always think about it as um, the time I spend with my little clients is as valuable as the time I spend with my big clients. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> my, my, my wife always said, why, why do you spend so much time with people you don't know or hardly know compared to the people you care most about? And those little clients, uh, they're awesome, but let me just tell you, my little clients are 22, 20, 17, <laughs> and the baby's 11. Uh, the, the little clients get pretty big, and it gets a, a lot more fun and a lot more challenging than the, than the old big clients, especially if they're teenage daughters. So uh, <laughs> I wish you all the best uh, at home and at Thank the you. activity you get paid for as a chief experience <laughs> officer of your own digital life. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Amelia, come back and visit us. We'll make it more accommodating next time since you accommodated us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Take Thank care. You. Have Bye. a great day. Thanks. Dave, can I ask Mike a, a quick crypto question? Yeah, seconds? off off screen. Yeah, we don't really care. No, go ahead. <laughs> Mike, how much is this guy worth? Bitcoin, Dogecoin is going crazy. And all this guy does is cost me money. The main coins based on the Shiba Inu are going bananas. I, I thought Shiba was a, a dog. We, we own 50 million shares of Shiba. Julie bought it. So uh, you tell me when to sell it. Yeah. Hang yeah. tight. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. That's a valuable dog, Dave. Is it? <laughs>
Why why is Mana going crazy right now? And and by the way, let me just add, and that dog is special because it was part of your wedding that Dave officiated, which was really cool. That was why, why is Mana going crazy right now? Well, can I tell you a quick story? Because of the central land. Everybody's you know, everybody sees the value of uh of the metaverse. You know, Facebook just announced that they're gonna be changing their name to Meta. Yeah, Meta. Be, yeah so, so they, oh that's why. So here here's what's so classic about ignorant humility. Uh, you know, I've I've done really well and been really lucky uh in thanks to the advice of mike uh with the ten percent of what i what i invest ten percent of what i've invested is in prospecting and so i consider you know the nft investments and the the crypto investments i make is prospecting so anyway i tell julie yesterday i'm like hey you know mana hasn't moved at all and i don't even know why this came to me i'm like i've done so well in it because i bought it for pennies you know, and it was, it was, you know, just staying yeah. between 70 and 80 cents or whatever. So I right. tell her, yeah, you know what? I'm done with it. I think I'll buy something different. And uh, I just kind of forget about it. It's doubled since yesterday. It's at 154, right? Yeah. And no, no idea what I'm doing, uh, right. but I don't care because it's aligned with my timing and risk tolerance that this is a high risk, very volatile, uh, you know, unsecured type of investment that, yeah is the same as me stepping up to a crap stable with Marino and Mola and, uh, you know, spinning for the, the hard 10. Uh, but man, it seems to keep hitting all the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to run. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what fun it is. All right, boys, 6 AM in 19 minutes, we're going to do takeaway of the week on clubhouse. I need you on there. If you can make it, if you can't, not a big deal. Uh, office hours tonight. Uh, episode three it's absolutely killing it the first late night entrepreneur show rob deerdeck jack canfield amazing uh, and rich climbing uh, don't forget him and uh who's who's our host on there uh, waller marino yep yep and me and uh who's else is on there dave do you remember? And, and Dave, while he's looking at, can I just say the magic of the show for me? Well, there's so yeah. much magic, but the magic of the show, like with it, with a Jack Canfield, you know what you're getting. You're like prepared to have mind blown every time with a Rob Deerdeck. He's been, you know, the entertainment guy, the guy that's made me laugh for the last 15 years on TV. He's ridiculousness. Ridiculousness. <laughs> right. But when he sat down and told us that uh, his schedule and his mindset, I was just like, wow. dude, he made an app. He made an app for yeah. the student of the calendar. He's a student of, Dave Meltzer and the calendar and created an right. app. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. Um, thank you, guys. I will see you guys in uh, 18 minutes, I hope. Enjoy Thanks, the guys. baby. Enjoy. Are you still in Florida, Mike? I am until tomorrow right. morning. Enjoy your birthday. Take I care, will. brother. Happy birthday. Hey. Love you guys. Bye. I love Bye. you guys. All right. In about 18 minutes, we are going to be on Clubhouse. Training today is on forgiving yourself. Probably the best uh, lesson I can teach is how to forgive yourself because to have peace in your life is amazing. And the way that we attain peace in our life uh, is through forgiveness. Uh, I'm looking forward to sharing all the takeaways of the day, all the takeaways of the day with you. Uh, remember, most importantly, Clubhouse, 6 a.m., 11 a.m. Pacific Time training. If you miss it, just check out the playbook. Uh, my trainings are the t over 21 years of doing them are the top podcast, uh, on the playbook. So download the playbook, share it and enjoy it. It's, uh, an everyday experience. Uh, we're almost at a thousand episodes ourselves. Uh, let's make it happen. 
Anyway, let me give you my best experiential advice. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you in about 16 minutes on Clubhouse Breakfast of Champions. Thank you.